Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. We are going through the series of one another, and uh, as we go through that series, we come to Romans, uh, and Romans in the second part of that letter, the part that is the challenge of what you know from the doctrine of salvation, how you ought to act, and there's a lot of uh, these one another's that are there, and so it's kind of served as a direction initially for us as we think consider this thought that there is uh, the act of uh, for us as believers of being reciprocal in our challenge uh, to one another uh, that we are supposed to be doing and so uh, we uh, are ones that uh, as we look at Romans chapter 15 uh, there is uh, another set of uh, at least two one another's that we'll look at tonight but they combined with one another. I was thinking about uh, this passage of Scripture, I was reminded of the fact that uh, people really do desire to be seen. I mean, uh, in most cases, now if you're an introvert, that is kind of like, well, I don't want to be seen, but for the most part, people that are in uh, the world want to be seen and recognized. Uh, the world uh, at large uh, spends much time trying to get their face plastered everywhere and and uh, attempt to show themselves doing things in multiple different locations and the like. And it is rather humorous at times when these people that are, you know, ones that have 10 million followers that people run into them and have no idea who they are. They're just shocked by this and upset that someone doesn't know who they are because they are so-and-so and doesn't really matter. And it's always the humorous thing when uh, politicians or others get caught in some situation and they, they claim this, do you know who I am? As if it really matters uh, at that point uh, who you are, uh, you are going to get equal treatment uh, by the police uh, for what you've done. There are other times where individuals don't want to be seen and don't want to uh, have that happen. I was just reading a story again of uh, President Lincoln, uh, when he had gotten elected and he made his journeys uh, from the state of Illinois to Washington, D.C., and there were very credible threats to the life of uh, Abraham Lincoln when he went through Baltimore. We don't typically think of Baltimore as being a southern town, but Maryland was a kind of a border state that really hadn't uh, wanted Lincoln to be president, and there was riots uh, in Baltimore about the things going on as far as the war, and there is the, the humorous story. If you can imagine this, we always picture Abraham Lincoln in a top hat. That was his kind of signature thing that he would wear wherever he went, but uh, on the occasion where he was traveling to go and get inaugurated to be president, uh, he put on a beaver skin hat and put a shawl over him and rode in a different train than what he was supposed to. He was trying not to be recognized by the crowd because if they had been, they might have torn him from limb to limb as he went through Baltimore uh, and the like. But most people are, are looking for the fact that they are accepted as uh, who they are and uh, not to be rejected. And what you have in this passage of Scripture is that kind of uh, thinking, even when it comes to the church, there is this understanding that there should be an acceptance of individual regardless of who they are, what their status is. That we as believers ought to recognize and accept one another. 
I want to read through this uh, section of Scripture. We'll start off in Romans chapter 1, and we'll go right down to verse 13. And what you ought to be doing is going, okay, where is the one another's in this passage? And just kind of note uh, where they're at as we read through this. There's two of them. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God." Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles of this people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and that he... And he that shall arise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope uh, fill you with all joy and peace and believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What we first of all have to recognize in this passage as it's talking about these one another's is that we ought to accept one another regardless of our spiritual state okay and i'm going to explain that what i mean by that what you had in starting off this passage is that uh, verse one makes very clear we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves uh, what we don't have and what we didn't read here this evening is what goes on in romans chapter 14 and it's a discussion of the weak and the strong brother we looked at a passage very similar to this in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 8, 9, and 10, where we talked about the fact that there were people who were concerned about eating meat offered to idols. Uh, this passage has some of those things, but the idea is uh, here that there's individuals who are upset about certain days that are celebrated and certain days that aren't certain feast days and it seems to be in this case that the jews uh, there's jewish individuals who are still saying we ought to celebrate certain feast days uh in honor of who christ is and there's others who are going those feast days mean nothing to us now we don't have to celebrate these things and so there's this discussion how do we treat one another when it comes to the way that we uh, or believe and uh, understand certain things and it brings us to this understanding that when we come into a church like this, all of us have different understandings on different issues. We are not going to be exactly alike on certain issues. Now, on certain truths, we ought to be in, in, uh, in, uh, in unity and unified about. 
That there's salvation found in nothing else and no one else except for Jesus Christ alone. That a person is not saved by works of righteousness which they have done, but they are saved according to the mercies that God bestows through His Son. Those are things that if we're going to be a church and be one that glorifies who Christ is, those are the type of truths that you can't move on. You can't say, well, you're just weak in this thought. No, this is something that a person must have for them to even be saved, to become a part of a church. But inside of a church, we we must realize at times that there are going to be certain people that disagree with us on how we cut the line on how we live the Christian life. You go, well, everyone ought to believe the way I do because I'm right. You know, I've got it all figured out. And I think over time, that if you're honest with yourself, you begin to realize that positions that you had at one time in your thinking, you suddenly realize over the years, maybe that was not the right course and the right thinking on how to live out the Christian life. There's others who uh, are coming into this and, and they have no knowledge of really anything of the scripture they just know that they're saved and they're living their life better than they used to you know for them they think they're doing well because they're not living like they used to they're they're a new creature and there's old things that have passed away and they still haven't understood everything about the christian life and they come into a church body And there is at times uh, that uh, we as individuals might, uh, when we see somebody else in church, go, I don't know that I agree with them, and I'm really having a hard time accepting them in the church. I can't take them seriously. Because they hold a different position than I do on certain issues. It's this type of thing that can cause rifts in church, is uh, where you have people who are declaring something that is not exactly stated in the scripture but are saying you know this may be the best course of action and everybody else has to do this that you get into some dangerous ground that can bring disunity and bring frustration to individuals now what the scripture tells us is that sometimes we think we may be strong but it also indicates that in other passages that we are sometimes weak we don't have all the answers we don't have everything right and for us to look at individuals that may not have the exact same things as we are they may be weaker than us in the sense that they might have a stronger conscience about something or we're stronger than they are because we realize certain things aren't as important as uh, individuals seem we just have to be careful in this and you say well what uh, are we supposed to do well we're not to understand this in verse 2 it says let every one of us please his neighbor for this good of uh, excuse me for this good to edification we're not to please ourselves we're not out to impress our impress others with what we're like okay that's not not our job we're not out to make ourselves impressive to others and people are going great job that's not why we do the things that we do The reason that we do things in this life is this, that we are looking to please others to the good of of edification, that we help build them up. See, why we're around other believers is that they have the opportunity to sharpen us, 
to help us. They've got gifts that you don't have that they can use to help you be better than what you are if you were by yourself. And when you have a church body like this, our goal is this, is that we are looking to edify or build one, another's up, uh, one another up. And it may be that we have weak spots in what we're doing. We've missed certain things. And what we have an opportunity to do as believers is to build one another up if we're willing to accept the, the challenge to go, I'm here to help that person as they're here to help me. See, there are times where we're going to fail and we're not going to quite make it. In fact, we're going to have uh, times where we sin. And that's something we got to remember. We're going to fail. But you hope individuals are going to come along and help build you up. The passage that I thought of when it comes to this idea is Galatians chapter 6 and verse, uh, verses 1 through 3. That passage says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. You say, what does that mean? They've fallen into sin. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. And you go, well, who decides who's spiritual? Well, that's just a word there that's indicating that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and the spirit, you're allowing the spirit to do a work in you. You are intentionally sinning that you know of, okay? That's, that's what the term is. It's not, you know, there's a spiritual person uh, and they get a badge because they're doing things right. No, it's the understanding that you are right with God at that time that you attempt to help that person along in the spirit of meekness. Word meekness has the idea of strength under control. When a person has an ability, but they don't use this to their advantage, they're using it to help others. They may be in a position of authority or a position of leadership, but yet they're, they're lowering themselves to be able to help other individuals and be able to meet their needs. Well, in this case, you have somebody who's not quite where they need to be at, not quite where they need to be at in their understanding. They've, in this case, they've sinned. What are we supposed to do as ones who are walking with the Lord? We're supposed to come alongside and do what? Lift them up. Pull them up. And the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, adds this little statement, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. See, what happens is that sometimes we are going to find ourselves in that pit. We're going to stumble and we're going to fall. And you want individuals to come alongside you and help you out. Just as hopefully you did when they weren't right where they needed to be at. That you're strengthening one another. And you have this statement, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For a man think himself to be something, he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. For us, when it comes to being individuals who are looking to uh, function in the one another environment, we just have to realize that we're going to have to help each other out. Pull each other up. Help each other to get to the point where we need to be at spiritually. That's our responsibility. See, you have this statement, uh, verse 2, you know, it says this, let every one of us please his neighbor. We've gone through this in the parable with the Good Samaritan. You go, who is my neighbor? 
Well, it's the idea of this. Anyone that really crosses my path, well, think about this. In the church building, you've got people that you're crossing paths with all the time. That you're there to help to the good of edification. And if we're looking to help people out that are in need spiritually, that aren't quite where they need to be at, that they're not exactly on the same spiritual page that, that we are, they need strengthening, we ought to do what Christ did. I mean, think about Christ. Christ was coming from a position of strength. He had no sin. But what was he willing to do? He was willing to, as you find in this passage, that he pleased not himself. He humbled himself. And what he did is that he came in and he was willing to take upon himself the reproaches, the, the punishment that people deserved for sin or being a part of that in order to be able to reach them. So it is for us as believers, we're to reflect that kind of mindset that though we may be doing well, there may be somebody else that's not spiritually on the same level as we are. We ought to accept them and help them along. That's our responsibility. That's our opportunity to be able to do this. Now, you do have some help in, able, in being able to help individuals get to where they need to be at and where you need to be at you go what is that you have that in verse four verse four says this for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning you go what's he talking about he's talking in this case about the old testament you want to know how you're supposed to live your life you want to know what you what is right you want to know these things well you've got the scriptures that can help you in your learning and that you might, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, you might have hope that you might actually uh, get to the point where you need to be at. See, what sometimes happens with people is that when they come into a, a church environment and the like, they may not have a knowledge of certain passages of Scripture. They may not have knowledge of certain things. They may not even have knowledge. You know, they, you just think about this. They have no knowledge of church history. They have no knowledge of what the Scripture says. They have no major knowledge of theology, and they come in. Well, how do they begin to get a knowledge of that? It's people coming alongside of them and helping strengthen them by the fact of, here's what the Scripture says. You ever think about this? You ever think about this passage? You ever hear this passage? And for us as believers, we have the opportunity to receive individuals into our church body that aren't quite spiritually where we're at. People are not going to be joining this church and being a part of this church that are where you're at spiritually. And you kind of go, well, I don't know. Do we really want them to be a part of the church body here? Well, what the Scripture says here, you've got the very thing to be able to help individuals get to where they need to be at. Because this is the very thing that helped you get to where you are at. And so for us as believers, right from the start, the Apostle Paul is just simply saying this, that you may have individuals that come in are not where you're at, but you need to be willing to go, this is an opportunity to help individuals to get to where they need to be at. In their knowledge of God, in the way that they live, and I've got an instrument that's not my own understanding and the way that I do things, but I've got this thing that is given to me by God 
that can show them it's not me versus them. It's this. Hey, look at what the Scripture says. You ever considered this as far as the way that you're living and in the way that you're living out your life? And it gives you opportunity to be able to challenge individuals in their life. In verse 5, this is where that one another comes in, that now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what our desire is, is that we are able to get together and get to the point where we're of one mind and with one heart in a church and with passion are glorifying God and magnifying Him. That people can see God in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we worship, these type of things, that God is magnified. That's the goal, to have a group of people able to do this. That one mind and one person that they're able to do this. And so right from the start, the Apostle Paul just simply is declaring the fact that there are going to be people in church not in, the same, uh, not in the same understanding and knowledge that you have. They may be coming in and not quite where you're at. Well, it's an opportunity for you to come alongside and to help them. Not go, oh, well, they're not like me. Let's reject them. But the Apostle Paul goes a little bit further than that where he says this, that we ought to accept people regardless of what their background is. And I might say this, their nationality. You see there in verse number 7, it says, Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That word received is the, the word that is used to describe somebody who is welcomed into a home. Okay, you have certain individuals that you won't welcome into your home. You go, why? Because we don't want them there. You go, why? Because, well, they are uh, ones that are a nuisance or could be harmful. What this word is not just merely, I, I go, okay, well, here's this person, all right, I'm going to house them because I have to, but I'm willing to welcome them and go, the refrigerator's right over here, anything that's in there, you can eat that. You see that couch over there? It's got legs that extend out. You need a pillow? It's right there. There's an afghan. Now, make yourself at, what, we, what do we sometimes say? Make yourself at home. And the Apostle Paul uses that kind of term for receive. That's the, the word there, a welcome. That we ought to welcome one another as uh, Christ also welcomed us to the glory of God. Do you realize that God's not in heaven going, oh no, that person's coming here. I have to have them here. No, what, what God delights in is that He has opportunity to have us where He is at, and He glories in this. He delights in this. This is an opportunity uh, to have this person with me, and I'll make them feel at home. He delights in this. That ought to be our attitude when it comes to anybody that comes into our church, regardless of what their background is. This is an opportunity for us to 
welcome, receive individuals, make them feel at home. And, and the case that the Apostle Paul uses is the one that was the major case for most of the churches in uh, Paul's time. You had two groups. They could be divided in this. Jews and Gentiles. And there were at times, as you read through the book of Acts, times where you had churches filled with Jewish people who were suddenly upset by the fact that Gentiles started showing up. Those Gentiles don't have the same customs as we have. They don't have the same understanding. In fact, they need to become like us. And then what they meant by us is not that they were serving the Lord and the like. It's you've got to take on our customs our habits, our manner of living, the way that we uh, express our nationality. There were in some cases churches that were filled completely with Gentiles with a few Jews inside the church. And for them, they're like, who are these Jewish people and why do they do the things that they do? What's their thinking on this? And for the Apostle Paul, he says this, you need to make those that may not be, in this case, of the same national background you are, you ought to make them feel right at home. Because look at how he describes this in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the Father. He's just simply saying this, that Jesus was one who ministered to Jews. He went out of his way to minister to the circumcision and that he was uh, coming into this world to minister to them the things that uh, he had promised to the fathers and the like. But understand this, verse number 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And uh, you have a series of verses we'll just talk about here in a second. But he's just simply saying this. Christ ministered to the Jews. He was looking to fulfill the promises that they needed fulfilled. And he did those things that he promised to the Gentiles in all these verses that he would minister to them and give them opportunity to be the children of God. And so as Christ ministered both to Jews and Gentiles, regardless of who they are, he's ministering to their needs, regardless of their nationality and background. You go through these passages there in verse 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, you have these different passages that are just Old Testament passages that are to the Jews reminding them that God had all along thought about the nations uh, surrounding them and wanted them to be a part of the blessings of God. It wasn't an afterthought on his part. It wasn't that the Jews were the only select group of people that could be God's people. No, the Old Testament proclaims the fact that God wanted Gentiles, the nations, to be a part of God's blessing. And so when Christ came into this world, though he ministered mainly to Jews, his sacrifice ministered to all. Ministered uh, to them all. And so for us, as uh, we think about uh, this in our context, what if you have people come into the church that aren't the same nationality as you are? Background, culture. What should my attitude be towards them? Just the same as you would receive anybody else in your culture, you receive them the same way. 
you make them feel welcome. That's the responsibility of the one another, that when you look at a church, there ought to be a diverse group of people. It's not just our people and other people. No, it's that that isn't even really a thing. When somebody comes in, it's just a delight to have that person there, and you go out of your way to make them feel at home. The Apostle Paul is here challenging these believers because he is going to go into, and at the end of Romans 15, the fact that he is going to be a missionary to go to the far reaches of the world. He's trying to get to Spain, and he's going to call upon this church at Rome to recognize the fact that they had a responsibility to help him reach the nations, not just Jewish populations and Jewish centers. No, he's going to go to a place where the gospel hasn't been heard before, uh, to nations and people that had never had a chance to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so for the Apostle Paul here, he is just challenging that we're supposed to accept individuals and help them along that may not be in the same spiritual status that we are in or categories that we are in their understanding, and that we're supposed to accept people, welcome them, not on the basis of their nationality, but that they are a person created in the image of God who God has created to save and that they have been saved, and that they are just as welcome in God's presence as anybody else, just as you are. But there's a third passage I just want to go to, and in thinking about this and going through this discussion and thinking through this, I was thinking about another issue that sometimes it can be a problem for individuals. It's not just people's cultural background. There is a problem with us sometimes when it comes to, I'll put it this way, financial status. I want us to turn over to James chapter 2 because this is a problem that James acknowledges is in the church. What if you have an individual who comes into the church and it is obvious by the way that they're dressed that they have money and you have another person that comes in and you go, hmm, you know what? Doesn't look like they have a whole lot of money. In fact, it looks like what they're wearing has been handed down multiple times and the like. What ought our attitude to be in that type of situation? James chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay or the, the bright clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? I mean, this is the situation that was going on in here in this church body, and he's writing to churches as you read through this, to uh, churches that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, mainly Jewish churches at the time. But here they have somebody come in, and you go, wow, this person could be a real asset to our church. I mean, that's the thing here. 
a rich individual, someone who's famous. They could really have impact here. Hey, come over here and sit with me here. Then you have somebody come in and it's obvious that they don't have anything to their name uh, uh, as far as a bank account. And it's like, well, we'll just ignore them because we really don't want the, you know, that many people like that here because people will get a bad idea of what we're like. You say, that, that doesn't ever happen in thinking of individuals and in my mind. It's, it is the attitude that is still there in our flesh where we think that you have to have people who are impressive that are part of the church body in order for Christ's ministry to work. It's the problem that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where they're saying we have to have better, you know, better preaching, preaching that appeals to a more cultured society, the wealthy in society, the impressives of society, so that they come in and the Lord has to remind that Corinthian congregation, not many mighty, not many noble, not many uh, wise are called. But God has chosen the weak things of the world and those things that are well, as it states there, are the ones that are ignored by the world to confound the mighty. See, what, what the Apostle James, or excuse me, not the Apostle James, James the brother of Christ had to address here was this attitude like this. Verse number five, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you've despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do not they blaspheme thy worthy name by which ye are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, I mean, this is strong terminology here in verse number nine. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit. What does it say there? It's sin. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever keepeth the whole law and yet offendeth not one point, he is not guilty of all. But you go through those passages and you understand this, that the Apostle Paul is just simply saying, you welcome everyone into the church. Doesn't matter who they are, what, what their social status is, because God delights in doing what? He delights in, in some cases, taking the poor of this world... He makes them a child of God and those poor individuals are oftentimes the one he uses to have the greatest impact in the world. God's able to use an individual who's not looking at their social status and going, look at me, how impressive I am. No, they realize they have nothing and these are the type of individuals who come and flock into uh, the kingdom of God that are following Jesus Christ and they flock to this because they realize they have nothing in themselves but God has given them Christ and they're willing to serve this one who's given them so much to look forward to has given them so much, maybe not in this life, but has given them so much to look forward to in the life eternal. And these are the individuals that God oftentimes delights in using. But the problem we sometimes have is that we go, well, you know, that person's not as valuable. That person's not as valuable because look at what their bank account is. What their financial status is. They, they really couldn't have impact that, that we need. 
And living in, in, in modern America, that is what uh, churches are calling for, is that you're drawing people who have the bank account while forgetting the fact that there's a whole world of people that aren't in that uh, category that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and are ones that could have impact far beyond. And so for us uh, this evening, and uh, just the, this short uh, passage of one another, there is this understanding that we need to just check the way that we see people that are coming into the church body and that we don't automatically categorize them by false categories. That we assume that person's really not all that important because they're not quite where I am at spiritually. No. The Lord's doing the same work in you as He's doing in them. And you ought to delight in just coming alongside a person like that and going, you know, what can I do to help? How can I help you? Uh, what can I do? Are there things that you need to know, understand, that you would like to understand? We ought to be the instrument to help with that. We uh, ought to be willing to see a church filled with people of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues. Now you say, well, we wouldn't have people who are French-speaking in this church because they wouldn't understand a word that we're saying. But I'm saying this, we live in a melting pot here in the United States. People are coming here from all over the globe. And there's some countries you go to and you don't get that opportunity to cross paths with people from other nationalities and other nations and, and backgrounds. But here in the United States, we have that. It ought to be a delight for us to just simply go, there's somebody else from a totally different background who loves the Lord and the Lord's doing a work in them and they're having impact here. Praise the Lord. And then it ought to be for us that we ought to check our attitude when it comes to when we see individuals walk in and do we automatically categorize them and go, no, they're not that important. No, they're not that important. Oh, hey. Really, really important here. We ought, we ought to get, get in contact with them. That, that shouldn't be our attitude. It ought to be that every person that's in this church body and is in this church building is one that is one whom, for whom Christ died and delights to save. And so it ought to be our ministry and our thought pattern that we will reflect Christ in the way that we accept, we receive we welcome each other in a church body. And so may we be challenged, warned, but then also delight in the Lord using everybody in a church body like this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. You're a good God. You were willing to accept us because of what your son has done. Help us to have a broader, unselfish mindset when it comes to ministering to others that come into this church and this church body. That we just don't merely categorize and say, well, that's a person that's unhelpable or we really can't work with somebody like that. May we realize that you're a God who's working in the lives of everyone. You worked in our life. And may we see ourselves as instruments. May we see times together as opportunities to be able to encourage, to edify, 
and that we would see a church body here, each one of us having impact. And, and as Paul said in this passage, that we are unified of one mind, of one heart, able to glorify God, that God would be seen in our actions and attitudes and our acceptance of one another. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. May we reflect that unselfishly to those around us. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.